All right. I know you're not supposed to start a sermon this way, but I uh, will start it this way. I have no idea how this is about to go because we are at a section that is convoluted and confusing, and uh, we're going to do our best to try to figure this out. All right, so all day, Sunday school was Jeremiah, Sunday morning was Jeremiah. We worked basically our way between verses one, between, uh, from verse 1 to verse 13, all right? So we'll just read those 13 verses. I'll just make a couple of observations just to remind a couple of things, and then our goal tonight is 14 to 19. That is the goal. That is the goal. But the section is, I, I don't, the more, the more I got into it, the more I was like, it's all over the place. But we'll see what we can do to try to make it work. All right. So everybody ready? Here we go. Ch- Jeremiah chapter two, we'll start in verse one. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, we emphasize the fact that this idea that it's God's word in the book of Jeremiah is repeated over and over and over. What thus saith the Lord is used. What did I say? 157. Thank you. 157. Um, and I can't remember. I think someone counted. Uh, I think someone emailed me and counted how many times there's something throughout the entire book of Jeremiah. And I don't have the number in front of me, but it was a lot. So it's just emphasized over and over and over and over and over again. All right. Uh, verse 2, so moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. That gives the immediate recipients, at least to this part. And the fact that it's to Jerusalem, just as another reminder that he is giving his message to whom? The southern kingdom is the primary target audience, right? Because Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. All right. Say, uh, 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 so go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember. And so he sets out to remind them in a sense of what he remembers. And he remembers a certain thing about Judah pertaining basically to their relationship with him. And there's a number of things he remembers. Let's go through the first one. I remember the, the kindness. He remembers, remembers how they used to be in a sense nice to God. They were kind, and he he says he remembers the kindness of their youth. And we talked about the phases of the Christian life. This is kind of like that young Christian stage. I know for them, we wouldn't call it a Christian stage, but their young relationship with God, and they were kind, nice to God, thinking about God. What can I do for God, right? And then from that youth stage, they go to love of thine espousals or the love of a bride the marriage stage or the honeymoon stage, right? They go from a youth to someone who is married and now there's a passionate love for God. Then that goes to following after, right? When thou wentest after me in the wilderness and a land that was not sown. They go after him just like a bride will follow the groom, right? They go after him. So there's this kindness, there's this love, there's this following after And he's reminding them, in a sense, of, hey, I remember this about you. And then what's next? Um, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, right? And and I think, well, we don't have time to do work on the word. The idea, I think, they were set apart to God. They were set apart for God. They set themselves apart to God. And then they were the first fruits of his increase, Again, belonging to him, more, there was an expectation that more was going to come from them. And then there was, he, reminds them, he reminds them that he remembers the protection that was given to them. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon, uh, evil, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Anyone that would go after Israel, he would protect them, right? And so it, it reminds them of that wonderful stage of their relationship with God. But we know, starting in verse 4, that we begin to know something changed, right? Something happened. And once again, we hear, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Now he kind of expands the audience, right? All of Israel, listen. All of Israel, north and south. And then he, what does he do? He asks a question. And what is the question? What did I do wrong? 
What did I do wrong? What, what did you find wrong in me? And we looked at the possible ways to understand that question. We're not going to go back and review that. But we looked at three possible ways to understand the question. And he says, what, what have you found in me? Because, you, because you, obviously something is wrong. Something has changed because you used to be like, I remember. But something, you found something wrong in me because now what's their uh, attitude? They've gone, af- they've gone away from God and they walked after vanity and become vain. And we really emphasize, so this morning we emphasize the different stages of our lives and trying to figure out how would we break down the stages of our Christian life and identify where we are today. And then we talked about walking after vanity, pursuing that which is empty, vain. Because if you pursue vanity, you become vain. Right? You become empty. You become meaningless. Now, trying to identify exactly what it means to pursue vanity, nobody had any good definitive answers because it's very hard. In this particular case, we would say the pursuing of vanity equals what? The pursuit of idols, but that is still hard to define because everything, what, you know, you can, somebody can be doing something and not re- claim it's an idol, but ultimately we know the real idol is ourself. So anytime we do anything to please ourselves in a roundabout way, we're, we're pursuing idolatry. So it's really hard to, to break all of that down. All right, so we went through all of that pretty good, right? Then verse 6, uh, then we get this interesting section, right? Uh, we get this interesting section where we have, we have God's word, we have the recipients, we have what God remembers, we have the question, and then what do we call the next section? The forgetting. Because two groups of people forget God, right? The people and the religious leaders. And how is this demonstrated? Okay, neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? And what does it mean when it says, neither said they, where is the Lord? No one bothered to go, where is God? They stopped thinking about God. Why didn't they stop thinking about God? Because they pursued vanity. So as you pursue something else, you forget God. And they begin to forget God. And so nobody was asking where was God. And nobody was, was remembering. They were forgetting what God had done for them, right? Because they're like, neither said uh, they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my inheritance an abomination. They forgot God. And as a result, they began to become a defiling presence. They become a defiling influence. Okay. And then we see that's the people. And then the next group were the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are broken down into three categories. First, the priest. Second, the pastors. And third, the prophets. All right? And what did the priest say? Or what did they not say? Where is the Lord? And uh, they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Are you seeing a theme here? Not only forgetting, but they're all pursuing that which does not profit. They're all pursuing that which does not profit. I cannot stress that. They're pursuing that which is vain. So if we look, if we take the two concepts this morning and put them together, what stage are you in in your Christian life? And have you found yourself in a phase or in a stage where you are pursuing those things that do not profit? And what does Jeremiah mean by do not profit? Does not profit them which way? Spiritually. Spiritually. And that, that's the big challenge. All right? Everybody got that? Okay? That's pretty good. So far, so good. Right? That brings us to verse 9 and following. And what did we call 9 through 12? Or 9 through 13, I apologize. God's contending. Now it says in the King James verse not chapter 2 verse 9, wherefore, now the wherefore is based on everything that's come before it, right? I will yet plead with you. Now the pleading here 
That is a complete wrong way of understanding if you think this is like God going, please, please. No, this is not God pleading that way. This is God, he's bringing a case against them. He's contending. In fact, the NIV states it which way? Nine. I bring charges against you. Now, please note, if you, t- if you take it in its context, wherefore? Because basically you've all forgotten me. Basically because the way you used to be, you've completely forgotten me and walked away. I'm going to bring my charges against you. I'm going to be very specific now. Instead of remembering how you used to like me, I'm going to bring charges against you. And he brings a number of charges against them. Those charges are what? What's the first charge? I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead, or I'm going to bring charges against all of you, right? I'm going to just bring these charges. And so what does he tell them to do? For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Hey, go look. I want you guys to go look. Go searching. Okay, go searching. And what are they going to go search and see what they can find? Next verse. Hath a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? Now remember, all of this is being written in a way, this is very important, where God is very much presenting himself almost like a person, right? Very, this is very human language. And here, you, this can get a little confusing here, but let's make sure we understand. Obviously, these other nations are already worshiping something that's not a god. But their point is, has any nation taken a god and said, you know what? We're going to replace God with no god. Because in a roundabout way, what is Israel doing? Hey, we're going to, remember, God's like, you used to be nice to me, and you used to love me, and you used to pursue me. And now you've turned your back on me and you are pursuing that which is vain or empty because they had turned their back on God to pursue no God. To pursue no God. So he's like, go find another nation that has done that. Go find another nation. All right. And then, in fact, he says, right, so the first thing, he, uh, here's his contention. His first contention with them or his first charge is you have exchanged something. You have exchanged glory for that which doth not, is that phrase is being repeated. Have you, are you noticing this? You keep going after which is no profit. Not that which brings glory. What should be Israel's glory? God. But they've replaced God for that which doth not profit. Next. What's, uh, then he kind of gives them this warning, right? Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. He's basically telling everyone, look at what's happening here. Can you believe what these people are doing? And then the next charge. For my people have committed two evils. They have number one, well, we'll call it number two because the first thing is the exchange. So number two, they have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. That's very important to remember that phrase, the fountain of living waters. They, they had a God that was the fountain of living water. In other words, to supply what they need. But when, when you have a fountain of living water, that's profitable, right? Especially in that period of time, right? Water was a hard thing to come by. They had forsaken the fountain of living water. And then what's the next thing they did? They dug, they dug new cisterns. Look at it. All right, verse uh, 13. And you them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Absolutely, the picture is, is, is beautiful, right? I mean, it's very vivid. Guys, I've got three charges against you. You exchanged me for something of no profit. You have forsaken me. And then number three, you've dug broken wells that hold no water. Why have you done this? Now that leads us to our our goal tonight. Jeremiah 2, 14 through 19. 
Now, there, oh, there are so many problems with this section. But well, well, let's kind of, we're going to break. Some of these things are going to have to be repetitive on through this section. What I need you to do as we were being repetitive is just focus on, I'm going to give you very specific things to look at. We may read something that will say the same information twice, but it's going to, it's going to, we're going to emphasize that information to try to answer specific things or understand specific things. So let's call verses 14 through 19. Let's call this six questions. Six questions. Your first task tonight is I need you to go through verses 14 through 19 and find the six questions. Find the question, write the question down, and write the verse in which it is found. Let's see if we all find six questions. I can almost guarantee we won't. See if you can find the six questions. Six questions. I'll let you work on it, those listening online. Okay, all right. Well, because just typically when you say how many of something, you always have someone give a different answer. So I just want to give everyone an opportunity for someone to go, no, I see seven or I see five. All right, everybody got them? You need a little bit more time. All right, I'll give you a little bit more time. Give you a little bit more time. Tell me, give me an amen or something when you're done. Okay, I got an amen. So I got two people, three people. All right, I'll let the rest remain silent. All right, here we go. All right, the six questions. Where is question number one found? Verse 14, what is the first question? Is Israel a servant? Verse 14. Is Israel a servant? How's the NIV stated? Because I know we're going to probably have a difference here. Oh, okay. Well, we'll go with, uh, oh, I think I know what they're going to do. Okay. They're going to combine it. Okay. So I knew, I knew there was going to be something that was going to happen. I knew it. All right. But we're going to say the first question is, is Israel a servant? Second question, at least in the King James is Israel a home-born slave? The NIV combines those two basically as one question. All right, but we're going to break them down. All right, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Third question. Why is he spoiled? Verse 14. Why is he spoiled? Now, when you first think of that, what do you th- think of? Why is he spoiled? Oh, why is he plundered? Okay, spoiled is not like, why is he spoiled like a brat? No, spoiled means to be plundered or corrupted or something has happened to it. Like, you know, hey, here, remember they're called the first fruits? Well, now they are a spoiled fruit. Okay, does that make sense? Kind of like that. They're, they're, they're being plundered, right? Okay, all right, next, what's the next question? Okay, everyone look at verse 17. The King James says it this way. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? Right? What's another way of saying, have you procured this unto yourself? Have you not brought this on yourself? Everybody see that in verse 17? All right. Next question. Okay, now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor, right? Now, basically, what is this is saying? What will you get going to Egypt? What are you going to get going to Egypt? Why are you going to Egypt? And then the next question. Or what hast thou to do in the way of 
Assyria to drink the waters of the river. Basically, what are you going to get going to Assyria? Those are the questions. So let's go through them again. Simply put, and you can simplify them to make them simple. The first question is, is Israel a servant? Number two, is she a homeborn? Or what does he say? He, he says he, right? Is he a homeborn slave? Why is he spoiled, corrupted, plundered? Next. Did you not bring this on yourself? Next. What are you going to get from Egypt? And what do we get from Assyria? Those are the questions. All right? Those are simple. Are, are we good? We can all agree on that, right? That's where nobody agrees. And from this point, nobody agrees on anything in this section, okay? Here we go. Are you ready? Who is asking the questions? Who is asking the questions? Almost no commentaries agree with that. There's probably some. I kind of, I'll paraphrase Calvin. Um, the speaker is evidently the prophet who exclaims in surprise at the view which his prophetic insight opens to him. It's almost like Calvin at least understood it, that Jeremiah has just seen all of these problems that God has had with them. And he, and he says, like, it's almost like Jeremiah is like, guys, what is, are you a servant? Are you a homebound slave? Are you, like, he almost starts asking them questions. All right. That's at least one view. So we've only got two options. What are our two options? <laughs> Jeremiah or God? Now, here's the real question, though. How much does it impact our interpretation of said passage? First, who's asking the question, and how much does it impact our interpretation of the passage? Okay. Okay. According to the NIV translators, right? Because the punctuation is not in the original. Okay. All right. Does anybody see anything in 13 to 19 grammatically that would give us an answer? Obviously, Calvin it disagrees with you if you say God. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean anything, but I'm just saying. Other translation, other uh, uh, commentary, commentators disagree as well, but. Okay. Uh, I mean, good question. Because uh, the questions are thrown within that entire section, right? 14, and then what's the last, ver- uh, last question is in which verse? And then 19 says... That's a good question. I'm going to bring my charge against you. I know. All right. So we're going to we're going to say it's so everyone here feels confident that it's God. When when did he when, when did God jump back in? Right. Good point. No, that's a very good point. That's a good point. I, that's why I'm asking the question. I like seeing how you want to handle this. Right. I just want to see how you want to deal with this. All right. I, I, I think. Now, but my main question is. Would it matter, would it impact your interpretation? That's what I want you to see. Now, I do agree that uh, whichever way you go, the interpretive issue becomes, well, wait a minute. If, if we have a change of speaker, when did, the speak, when did it change and when does it change back, right? So that would be, that would impact your interpretation. Does that make sense? Like if you say it's Jeremiah, then what's, what's the net thing you have to figure out? When did he start speaking and when did God start speaking? All right, so that would be an interpretive issue. What other possible interpretive issues could this cause? If we say it's just Jeremiah, what would be the other possible interpretive 
questions. Or if, let me ask it this way. If Jeremiah is asking the questions, well, I'm just saying, if Jeremiah is asking the questions, does that change how you interpret the nature of the questions versus if it's God asking the questions? Well, typically, I mean, so far it seems like he is, yes, over and over and over. But I'm just saying, if we go with how some interpret this, that this is basically Jeremiah going, I look, after seeing all this stuff, I got some questions, guys. Like Jeremiah just inserts himself. My question, so please follow my, my thinking here, right? If Jeremiah is asking the question, how does that impact your understanding of the questions themselves? Versus if it's God asking the questions. Okay, possibly. Okay, we'll leave it there. We'll just leave it there. I think there's a, there's a big issue there that I'm waiting for someone to kind of grab onto, but that's okay, okay. Did you, did you find something or see something? Well, yeah, not about what Jesus asked, but <laughs> okay. I do see that in verse 17, that he was the Lord thy God, and he who led thee by the way, so he's speaking about God in the third person, where when God was speaking prior to that and after that, he's referring to himself in the first person, so I just threw in that. Okay, good. Does everybody see what she just found? Okay, the pronoun usage changes in 17, right? And it's almost as if Jeremiah is speaking of God in the third person. All right, so uh-oh. But, but you still have, saith the Lord God of hosts at the end. I, all right, but remember, this is always, uh, some people, at least one person in this room, hates the book of Isaiah. And why do they hate the book of Isaiah? Because you never know who's, you never know who's talking. You never have a clue. Well, right here, we just got a little bit of that. Wait, wait a minute. Why did all of a sudden God wouldn't be speaking of himself in the third person? That would be Jeremiah speaking. So then if Jeremiah is speaking in 17, why would he not be the one speaking in? Four, see? So where does it change? I know it leads to major problems. So I'm trying to avoid that, right? Because I know I can bring in 10 commentaries and they're all going to make their arguments for who's speaking. Uh, what I'm trying to get you to do is stop worrying about who's speaking and answer this question. How does it impact the questions? If it's Jeremiah asking them, how do we interpret the questions? If it's God, how do we interpret the questions? And we've already had this problem back in Jeremiah 2, uh, 5, right? Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? And remember, the commentaries don't agree on how to understand that question. Right? Remember, some said the question was what? If you look back to your notes. Okay, verse 5. Remember, there's three ways of understanding that how to ask what those questions were doing. Remember, there's the rhetorical camp, the challenge camp, and the consternation camp. Right? So in other words, God is asking a question, and they're like, wait, do we understand? Is he asking the question as a rhetorical? Is he asking it as he's making an actual challenge? Or is he asking the question to show utter consternation and frustration? Right? Nobody agrees on how to understand that question in verse 5. Well, now we just have six questions. If, we, if there is debate over who's asking the questions, well, then what is that going to lead to to understanding how we understand the question? If Jeremiah is asking the question, do you, let's just use the same concept. Would Jer, if Jeremiah is asking the question, are you more likely to see it as rhetorical? Or do you see it more to see it as a challenge? Or do you see it more as expressing frustration? If it's God asking the six questions, are you more likely to see it as rhetorical or a challenge or frustration? That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Does it impact how you see the questions? 
since we can debate all day on the grammar, punctuation, pronouns, and we could we could we could drive that rabbit, we could chase that rabbit for six months, right? And everyone's going to have their view. No, I think it's God. No, I think it's Jeremiah. Okay, you know what I always like to do is whenever there's that disagreement, step back. So you've got six questions. I'm assuming everyone in this building has read Jeremiah before. How did you interpret those questions in the past? Well, okay, again, don't worry about who. How did you understand the questions? Okay, which way would it be? I gave three possible options. Okay, you can see all of them, okay? All right. Okay, frustrated. Okay. Well, this is important because we got to figure out then, because if it's rhetorical, then all of them implies what? One answer, right? Well, there's not even agreements on this in the commentaries. Some believe the first answer is answered differently than the rest of them. All right? Because some will do this. All right? I'll just try to, I'll just try to apply, I'm going to just kind of pretend here and try to play like how some would do this. All right? The first question is, is Israel a servant? And most would say this should be answered in yes. They are a servant of Jehovah. They are a servant of God. And then the next one is, are they a home-born slave? No! So if they are a servant of Jehovah, why are they then being treated or finding themselves like they're a home-born slave? So now that, if they're rhetorical, how can the first one be answered one way and the second one be answered a separate way. Who's supposed to know the answers? And what's the third one? Why is he spoiled? No, the, the answer is that basically some try to view it this way. Hey, the, you're a servant of Jehovah, so why in the world are you now being treated or acted like a home-born slave Who's being spoiled? You're a servant of Jehovah. In other words, the questions are being asked like, this is what you are. Why is this happening to you? Now, that's why some believe that seems to show Jeremiah going, what's happening, guys? But how do we answer the first question? So uh, let me just read from a number of, of commentaries just to show you like a lot of the... the... Right, let me give you an example. Is Israel a servant? The word servant, we must remember, had become, through its frequent use in Isaiah, a word not of shame, but honor. And of all servants who was born in this house, as in the case of Eleazar, occupied the most honorable place nearest to a son. The point of the question is accordingly not is Israel become a slave, kidnapped, as it were, and spoiled? But rather this, is Israel the servant of Jehovah as one born in his own house? Why then is he treated as one with no master to protect him? Another commentary. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Is he of the condition to be delivered as a prey to his enemies? Is he of these people whom God regards as slaves and strangers? These interrogations imply and have the force of a negative. All right? So this one says that all of them get what kind of an answer? A negative. But the other one says the first one gets a positive. See? How do we interpret the questions? Now, let me go back to my previous question. If it's from God, or if it's from Jeremiah, does it impact how you interpret the questions? That's why I keep going back to that. I told you this is a convoluted section. Do y'all feel it would not matter any way, shape, or form? Well, I'm not saying it does. I'm not being dogmatic yet. I'm letting you guys be dogmatic. 
Okay. Okay, so does the, the overall feeling is it doesn't matter if it's Jeremiah, it doesn't matter if God, it would have no profound impact on how you interpret the questions. Is everyone in agreement with that? Okay, well, I'm getting a no in the back. Okay, <laughs> Stephen's like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> and Sarah is always noncommittal. Okay, <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. If you don't want to look dumb, theology is the wrong subject to study, okay, because we always look dumb, okay, all right. There is an issue with the pronouns, absolutely, I know, yeah, we got some serious pronoun issues going on here, right? <clears throat> we, I, yes, I know. <laughs> It's, it's, it's maddening. You can lose your mind trying to figure it out. All right, so let's do this. Since no one really wants, some of you are like, it doesn't matter if it's God or, or uh, Jeremiah. Some are like, it does matter. Uh, some say it doesn't have any impact on the questions either way. Does anyone have? You said that it didn't matter. Okay. It doesn't, well, I'm saying it doesn't, it doesn't matter as far as it doesn't impact the questions. Okay, so, all right. So when it comes to the questions, how then do you think you should answer them? So let's go through them. What was the first question? Is Israel servant? What do y'all feel? Yes or no? Do you believe it refers, it calls for a yes or it calls for a no? Okay. So you believe it does refer to a yes, but it's not that, that they are a servant of Jehovah, but they are a servant of these other nations, okay? All right? So we're going to have so many different answers here, it's going to be absolutely insane. If I'm agreeing to it, I see it all as negative, because now God is saying, like, what, are you a servant? Are you a slave? Why are you getting slandered like you are? Why are you getting treated like okay. you are? Okay. All right? You so see him as negative. Okay. No, that, 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 that's... That's the fun part of trying to figure this out, right? Anybody else? How would you, how would, so let's, let's count this up. How many here, are we a majority or a negative? So, well, now what's funny is even whether we answer this in affirmative or a negative, not everyone's even answering it for the same reason. So we, we already, we have so many disagreements here, it's not even funny. So just in a general way, is Israel a servant? How many say that should be answered in the affirmative or the negative? Okay, you're saying, no, you're not, okay? Bobby says, yes, but not to God, but to the nations that keep plundering them, okay? What, you got a yes, no? Anybody, anybody else? No, not a servant, okay? Did you have a no or yes? Okay, no, no, did you want as a no or as a yes? Okay, all right. We basically got we got a split going on here. That's why we have a church split. That's it. We're done. Someone go start a new church. We're going to be the church of Israel's a servant, or the church of Israel's not a servant. Okay, Let, let's just. Well, I don't even know which direction to go with this. Well, we'll we'll we're going to read the verses after it. Okay, um, there's more here to try to figure out, but we'll. I mean, I got so many commentaries here, and nobody can agree on anything when it comes to this section. All right, here we go. All right, so is Israel a servant? Now, I will. I think that the, basically, in most commentaries, it's it's basically answered. This is basically the way it's it's answered according to most commentaries. Most see it as they are a servant, so it's affirmative, yes, but they are a servant of the true God, right? That's how they believe. And they quote from Isaiah. They quote from all these passages and go, he's like, hey, aren't you a servant of the true God? And then he's, per- he's perplexed, which this seems to argue more from a Jeremiah perspective than a God perspective, okay, which that gets into all kinds of issues. Or you say, wait, guys, are you a servant? And, and it's being said in a negative way, like, no, you're not supposed to be a servant. So why is, you, why is this happening to you? No, you're not a slave. No, like it, it's supposed to be in a negative way. I, you can go whichever, but let's just read the next and see what happens, all right? Is Israel a servant? Is he a homeborn slave? I think everyone agrees with what? Is he a homeborn slave? 
Okay, almost everyone says that's a no, right? Next, why is he being spoiled, right? Well, now, this is not so much like whether it's a yes or a no, it's more of a how come, right? Almost like, well, why is this happening to you? Very good. That's a good way of looking at it. What that third question may may have to demand a certain way of interpreting the first two questions, right? Why 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 are you giving me a look like that? Okay, I know, but I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get us. No, I'm trying to work through it, right? Okay, so right. I know that's what I said. I know, but I wasn't giving an answer yet. I was trying to get us to find the answer. Okay, I mean, I, I, if y'all just want me to give answers, I can, but that's boring teaching, right? All right, so if we go to the third question, does that change how you interpret the first two? Well, I I think clearly they're related. All right, so let's go with that hypothesis, right? So the third question implies that they're being plundered, they're being spoiled, right? So Because it's not, will you be? Why are you? Why are they being plundered? Why are they being why are they being spoiled? Well, then that seems to then force you to answer the previous two questions in what way? You're not a servant. You're not a slave. So why are you being spoiled? That to me is the only way that makes sense. That's the only way that makes sense to me. Right? Right? I I I do understand why when you see is Israel a servant, there's a first, the, your first, my first thought for reading it is, well, absolutely, they're a servant of God, right? I mean, we're all servants of God. But I don't think it's being said in a positive way. I think it's being said, the NIV groups the two together, right? Because I think, I think that's, you, it's a negative, are, are you a, are you a servant? Are you a slave? The what? Well, no, we're not. We're, what is Israel? God's chosen. We're his, we're his beloved. We're his children. We're his first fruits. We're his bride, right? Well, then why are you being plundered? Next question. Didn't you bring this? What did you bring on yourself? You're being plundered. You, you stopped following me. You stopped, quote-unquote, being nice to me. You stopped loving me. You stopped following me. You stopped being holy unto me. You stopped being my first fruits. Why did this happen to you? And then the next question. Right, meaning that they, they have abandoned God, and who were they, why were they going to go to Egypt and Assyria? For help, almost to become a servant of of Egypt and Assyria, not of God. Hey, in other words, a servant, uh, a, 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 their high and lofty position with God. God had chosen, I mean, go listen to all the ways God describes Israel, right? Like the apple of his eye, he loves them, he's chosen them. Well, now, so, so now looking at those questions, does that change who you think is possibly asking the questions? I don't have an answer to this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For those listening online, my iPad, Siri, Siri just said, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer for that. That's hilarious. Okay. I'm like, Siri, help me out. Even the people here aren't answering, okay? Even Siri doesn't know, see? All right. Nobody has an answer. Does, does it change how you perceive? That's hilarious. The series like, I don't know. Stop asking me questions. Don't think, okay, all right. So, yeah, I don't think it does. All right, that's fine, all right? So, whoever it is, the point is, though, he, whoever's asking the question, they're getting them to stop and look at themselves going, well, you're right. Why are, we, why are we basically now living a life of a slave 
because we are being plundered and we're looking to basically serve other countries in order to get help or to get rescued. In other words, all of those privileges, remember, it started off with God reminding them that he used to do what for them? Protect them. He's not protecting them anymore. Right? So I, I think that's kind of where we, 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 we get it. Now, right, so far so good, right? So what do we got here? We got the six questions. We, we've got a little bit of the drama of trying to figure out who's asking the questions. We've got how do we understand the questions, and I think now we've kind of figured out how we think we should understand the questions, right? right? And the way we should understand the questions is, no, guys, you're not a servant. You're not a slave. Why are you being plundered? Well, you brought this on yourself. Why are you going to them for help? Because your problem is with God. All right. Does that make sense? Is that good? All right. Now, what do we do next? Well, the next thing we have to figure out is how do we understand the time? How do we understand the time? Now, once again, guess what you're going to find in the commentaries? There is no agreement. All right? So I'm going to read these verses, okay? And then I'm going to start reading commentaries on them, okay? Now, some of these commentaries I just read to try to figure out how to understand the question. Now we're going to figure out the time. Well, you'll see here in just a second. Yeah, we're still in the same sections, still in the same sections, all right? Here we go. Ready? Is Israel's servant, is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The spoiled there is what tense? Okay? Past tense? Or is that in present tense? Past, present? Past? Oh, we got we we, we have disagreements. <laughs> Is he spoiled? So we're going to say present. What's it called when it's got a past and present? <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, we disagree on the tense. Okay. All right. Okay, all right. So we're going to have this one as a, a past tense, all right? The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Past or present? Past, all right? And the children of Noph and Tehaphanes have broken the crown of thy head. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? And that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when he led thee by the way. And now what hast thou to do with the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sior? Or what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. All right. Now, so most believe this is referencing things that supposedly happened where? In the past. Most commentaries say that's not accurate. All right, I'm going to start reading from some of the commentaries. All right? Okay? Well, I don't know if I can say most. There's going to be some disagreements. All right, here we go. Um, I'm just going to go back and start reading all of these. Uh, let's see. I think most of those focused on the is Israel a servant, so I think we can skip all of these. I think I cut out all the stuff that I didn't want to read here. Um, yeah, this is just another one. For example, is Israel a servant? The speaker is evidently the prophet who exclaims in surprise, 
view, which is prophetic insight opens to him. That's another commentary thinking that it's Jeremiah asking the question, not God, right? Just so that you see that, all right? So then they go through all of that. Then here we go. Uh, The first thing we have here is the young lions roared upon them, right? Lions in the figurative style of prophecy denote power, powerful princes and conquerors, all right? Where the king of Assyria is mentioned as one of those lions which had devoured him. There's a passage where it does. We'll get to this in a minute. And Nebuchadnezzar as another. If we consider the prophet as speaking here of what was passed by the young lions, he probably means the kings of Syria and Assyria who laid the country waste not only of the ten tribes, but also Judah and Benjamin and carried the Israelites into captivity. But the words properly rendered the young lions roar upon him and so may be understood of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, and Nebuchadnezzar, whose successive hostilities against the kingdom of Judah were foreseen by the prophet and are probably here foretold. So they argue that this is actually prophetic, something that is to come. It hasn't happened yet. Now listen to their explanation. You ready? Um, Here we go. Um, I'll go back here. The following, say here, okay, I'll just read this all again. Um, And are probably here foretold. It is true the following verbs of this verse are in the past time. But the context favors interpreting them of the future. Nor is it unusual for the prophets to speak of events yet to come and foreseen by them as if they had already been accomplished. All right, so what I want us to see here is this. Immediately, we find ourselves in a very uncomfortable place, right? Because we have to be able to try to interpret this. So if I'm reading following the general rules of reading, I'm going to interpret that as speaking of things that are past. Now what happens is if you try to then figure out well, what past events are being spoken of? Then you go to try to, pl- to fit them in. Some things they have to try to fit them in. They're like, well, it could be these guys. But then, well, wait a minute. We do know these guys do this, and that is not yet occurred at this time. Then it becomes really convoluted. Because how is the, now this is where I, you know, how I get very upset where Protestants love to say the clarity of scripture, right? The clarity of scripture. The scriptures are so clear that they can be understood, right? Well, how many people sitting in the pew are going to be able to figure that out, whether that's past, present, or future? Everyone's going to read that as past. And then a pastor will say, which past event? And then the person is going to go, I don't know. So they'll go find a commentary that tells them that it's past or try to find one to say, this is the right thing. And then they'll argue with the pastor and tell the pastor they know, doesn't know what he's talking about, even though commentary after commentary will say the future. Well, that's not necessarily talking about going to Egypt, is it? That the, the thing that, well, I guess there's a little bit there. But I mean, which specific prophecies there are being spoken of, right? Right? In other words, which things? They are referring to first and foremost, the things that they're referring to first and foremost is the young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. That's what they're referencing first and foremost there. Dehaphanus, right? Well, they're cities of Egypt. Well, that's, that's what they're saying. It depends on which way you go with. If you go with, like, remember how they, uh, they explained it? Um, let me read this again. If we consider the prophet as speaking here of what was passed by the young lines, he probably means the kings of Syria and Assyria, who laid the country waste not only of the ten tribes, but also Judah and Benjamin, and carried the Israelites into captivity. See Isaiah chapter 1, verse 7. But the words... More properly rendered, the young lion shall roar 
upon him, and so may be understood of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, and Nebuchadnezzar, whose whose successive hostilities against the kingdom of Judah were foreseen by the prophet, and are probably here foretold. So they're they're saying it's it's not looking to them, it's looking to the others, right? So what do you do? Uh, Let's... Okay. Right, right. Well, typically that's how it's used. Now, just remember, within Jeremiah, sometimes Israel, just remember throughout the, even the major and minor prophets, sometimes Israel is a reference to what? The whole nation. Sometimes it's a reference to the northern kingdom, and sometimes it's just a generic phrase that could be referenced to both, could be Judah. Could be the it can be just a generic way as, as well. So, right. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that. Right. 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 So so uh, so right there we which way which tense do we go with? Here's another uh, commentary. Uh, that Jeremiah speaks here of the future and not of the past, appears from this. Now, they're saying immediately he's clearly speaking from the future, not the past. Like, they're just, immediate, like they're just dogmatic about it. This is in the time of Josiah, when the prophecy was uttered. The country was not in the condition here described. The land had not been reduced to desolation, nor the cities burned with fire, but the determination of the Lord was passed and the prophet clearly foresaw that those calamities would come. They're saying the timing of these prophecies clearly means it hadn't happened yet. Right. Well, this is talking of Judah. Right. They're speaking of Judah. Right. Well, because the verse says what? Okay. Which, which uh, part of the verse says Israel? So everybody can look at it and find it. Verse 14, because he says to, right. Now, but is he using Israel there to refer to the northern kingdom or is he referring to it as general, all of Israel? And if he's referring to all Israel, well, he can't refer to all Israel because at this point, where is the northern kingdom? Gone. They're already in Assyrian captivity. So then is it being used... Uh, verse 4, I think. I think verse 4, he brings in both, right. But he brings in vo- uh, both there because he's expressing his frustration with all of them. So now here, when he starts saying, you, you see where, how we're going to get into the problems and how to try to figure out how to win, what does Israel mean when Israel is used? It can change dramatically. Now, if we go to the next part, all right, um, so we have, we have the uh, lot, young lions roared upon him, and then we also have also the children of Noth and Tehaphanes have broken the crown of thy head. All right, this is how they say it here. Um, and also the prophet, prophet clearly foresaw that these calamities would come. Also the children of Noth, have, broke, uh, uh, have broken the crown of thy head by the children of Noph and Tehaphanes are meant the Egyptians, these being the two principal cities of Egypt, called by heathen writers, and then they give the different names by the heathen writers, but we'll, we'll know that. This no doubt alludes to the severe blow which the nation received and a capital part when the good king Josiah was defeated by the Egyptians and slain in the battle, and when afterwards, upon the deposition of Jehoahaz, the glory of the monarch was debased by being changed into a tributary and dependent kingdom. Now, if this is pointing to that, if verse, if Noph and Tehaphanes, Tehaphanes, if I can say it correctly, and the broken crown of thy head, if that refers to the defeat of Josiah, when is Josiah defeated? Later. How many years later? This prophecy comes in what year of Josiah? 13th. When is he defeated by uh, the Egyptians? Yeah, I think, I think we can look it up if we need to. Look it up. He reigned for 31 years, right? All right, this prophecy comes in what year? 
13th year. How many years is it from 13 to 31? 18. So he can't be saying something that's already happened if that's what's referring to because it's 18 years in the future. Even though he's spoken of it as being in the past. Now, you could argue that's not what he's referencing. Because some don't believe that's what it's referencing. So in other words, you can find things in the past that may fit these, and you can find things in the future that fits these, meaning then it's absolutely insane trying to figure it out. Does that make sense? <laughs> Very difficult, is it not? All right, so we're out of time, and I did not want to stop here, but okay. So let's, let's work together. Let's see if we can try to put this together, all right? This section, we have how many questions? Six questions. The questions are very specific and very simple, yes? The first problem we try to come up with is who's asking the question, right? We have determined that nobody can seem to agree on it. Plenty of the commentaries clearly go with Jeremiah multiple times in there. If I keep reading all of them, they constantly are like, no, the prophet's just like, what in the world is going on? And he's got questions. Well, whether it's the prophet or whether it's God, we do know this, that these questions seem to require the following ways of answering it. Is Israel a servant? No. Are they a home-born slave? No. Then why is all of this stuff happening to them? Why are they being plundered? Why is all this stuff happening to them? Because if they have this special status with God, where is God to protect them? The next question. You brought it on yourself for forsaking me. Next question. Then why are you going to Egypt and why are you going to Assyria? Right? Why do you have to run to them for help? Because you have a special status with God. We figured that out, right? Does that make sense? So we figured out the questions. We kind of, we, we at least entertained um, who is asking the question. And then we began to try to figure out how to understand the questions. I think we did a very good job understanding how to, un- how to understand the questions. Then we started figuring out how do we understand the time. And we really have three time frames to understand it, right? Past present, future. We can all agree that the language uses what kind of uh, terminology? They use a past tense. The commentaries argue it's using a past tense because God already sees it as done. That sounds good. The problem is it makes it very difficult for what? For people to interpret. And immediately when we start looking for fulfillments of it, we can find some past fulfillments for it. But then some of them seem to be a better fit, a future, especially when you have the Egyptian cities and going after the, the head there. Now, well, there's a lot of different ways of understanding that phrase. We'll have to understand the phrase. But seemingly going after the king, which fits Josiah, who is defeated and killed. But it's only ha- it happens 18 years after this, which would put it future. Oh, it's not in chronological order, okay. It's not. But at least this section is referring to specific events. All right? So the next thing we have to do, and it, uh, we, we, don't, we, will, we won't be able to get to this, uh, we have to figure out uh, just briefly who the young lions are because there's not agreement on who the young lions are. There seems to be complete agreement on who the children are of Noth and Tehaphanes, which is these are the children of the Egyptian cities, the Egyptians. So the young lions, most think it's the Assyrians, but then some people believe it's the Assyrians, it's the Syrians, it's the Babylonians. <laughs> like, it's everybody, okay? Everybody who's not Israel, they're the young lions. Well, that, that makes it very hard to know when it was fulfilled, right? So it's all difficult, all right? So um, well, we'll just stop there. We'll, we'll stop there. We didn't get to what I wanted to get to, but that's okay, all right? Does that, I don't know if that helps any, but that's the best I can do with that. I told you the section was convoluted, did I not? Did I not tell you it was convoluted, right? Because it is very, very difficult.
it is very, very difficult in figuring out how to understand everything because some of the terminology is used in, in so many different ways. You, you, have, you have the pronoun issue, right? Well, wait a minute. Is that God talking or is that Jeremiah talking? We all agreed that there was a little weird thing going on there. Yes, we have the tense problem, right? And not only that, in a roundabout way, we have the, the switching back and forth to how he's using the term Israel. The whole nation, the northern kingdom, or just a general phrase that could reference even Judah. Like that, all of that. And then you have the whole, then you've got really, in a roundabout way, he's using somewhat symbolic language, is he not? The young lions roared upon him. That's not actual lions. Okay? So now we've got figurative language. And, and not only that, we've got to figure out when these things happen, which things is he referring to? Something in the past? Something in the future? All of that is just 14 through 19. That's how convoluted it all is. And then that doesn't even get into the problems where, well, wait a minute. How does the Septuagint translate this? Versus the Masoretic text, because we get that problem as well. Remember, there's two Jeremiah's. There's the Masoretic and there's the Jeremiah, right? And so um, I think there's some commentaries that will say, wait a minute, the Septuagint states it this way. I don't even want to get into all of that problem, right? That, that's hard to figure out, right? We'll have to stop there, all right? Now, I wanted to give a more practical application here, but I can't really give a practical application other than this, Israel got themselves in trouble because they stopped pursuing God. We can, we can definitely, we, we, that's definitely the major emphasis here. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. A very difficult section of scripture that requires patience and much work. I pray that we'll give this a lot of attention and meditation this week. Uh, this week, Lord, we have a lot of chapters to cover before next week. And I pray that we will just uh, be dedicated to work on this. And hopefully it will be a good week of study. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. That's the plan.